Some of you heard this story before. It's about a little girl. Her mama and daddy tucked her into bed at night, got her nice and warm, prayed for her, kissed her on the head, turned out the light, and then headed on to their own room. And little girl went fast asleep. A couple few hours later, though, storm rolls in, lightning flashing, thunder booming, and she wakes up scared to death. And she runs down the hallway to mom and daddy's room, jumps up into their bed with tears in her eyes, crying. And mom and dad are there. Oh, sugar, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. God is here to protect you and to, he loves you. And the little girl there in the darkness said, Daddy, I know that God loves me, but right now I need some love with skin on it. I need some love with skin on it. Sometimes we all need that. And what is wonderful about our God is that he knows that and therefore gives us his church. He gives us one another so that we can experience the love of God with skin on it. Not that his love is deficient in any way, but this is one of the ways. He wants to communicate his love, his care to his people. He gives us to one another. If you've been around the last few weeks, we're looking at what we call sometimes around here our motives or our values, the collective soul of Redeemer, the important matters, things that don't describe what we do but hopefully characterize all that we do. And we've looked at three of them. And if you will, they are maybe vertical in nature. We've looked at the glory of God. We value the glory and the greatness and the majesty of God. And then we looked at the gospel of God. The good news that God has loved sinners like you and me and sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to live for us and die in our place and for our sins and to rise for us. And that through faith and trusting in him, we can be forgiven of our sins, accepted by God, loved by him, adopted into his family, secure, safe and secure forevermore. The glory of God, the gospel of God. And then last week we looked at the word of God. That this is God's truth to us and we are to love it and to long for it and linger over it and lean into it and live it and let it out. What a treasure is God's word to you and me. We've got two more. The glory of God, the gospel of God, the word of God. This morning, the people of God. Next week, the mission of God. And I'm not so sure when we put these together years ago, we had this in mind, but it seems to me that this is absolutely a wonderful way to think about what is important to us at Redeemer. Whenever theologians, if you will, think about the purpose of the church, they'll often think of it in three different ways. That the purpose of the church is upreach. It's our worship of God our submission to him. Another purpose of the church is in reach. 
It's our love for and care for one another. And then, of course, outreach. That the church is sent on mission to take the love of God through Jesus Christ into the world. To say it another way, some will say it's worship. It's our relationship with God. We worship him. Nurture our relationship to one another. We are to nurture one another. And then mission. Another exaltation. We exalt him. Edification. We care for one another. And then evangelism. The church's calling in the world is to love God and love others. Others in the family of God and those outside the family as we seek to share the love of God with them. But here within the church family, it's the love of God with skin on it. I do hope that this has been your experience at Redeemer Community Church. I like to think that when you come here, you say, oh yeah, this is, this is a people who love the glory of God. You can just feel it, if you will. And oh, this is a people who love the gospel. I mean, they preach the gospel, the good news that Christ has come and lived and died and risen, and that through faith, in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins. It's not based upon what we have done. It's all on his grace and mercy and kindness. This, this church loves the gospel. And I hope you would come and say, and they love the word of God. It's so important to them. They preach the word of God and teach the word of God and tether all that they do. Try to, at least, to the word of God. And I hope you would be able to say about this place, and they love the people of God. It's a place of love. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy. I'm going to quote a handful of verses to us today. I'm not so sure this is the best place to go, but I do want to show you this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 or uh, chapter 3. Paul writing to Timothy and... Well, in, ch in chapter 1, in, in so many words, I guess maybe in, in verse 18, he is charging Timothy. I, I command, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. He'll close the book in chapter 6, fight the good fight. And in chapter 2, down there in verse Eight, he speaks to the men. I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And in verse 9, to the women. And in verse chapter 3, verse 1, he begins to speak to the office of overseer or elder. And he gives the qualifications for a man who is to serve as an elder in the church. And one of those, in verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church 
of God. And so an elder in the church is meant to be a man who manages his own household. Hopefully not perfectly. I don't think any of us would qualify. But on the whole, manages his own household well and thus gives credibility to his ability to manage what Paul calls here the church of God. And then he speaks to deacons down in verse 9 and their qualifications. And then in verse 14, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Paul calls the church a household It's a family. In chapter 5, just turn one page over. How is Timothy to relate to other believers within the church? In chapter 5, verse 1, Timothy, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all Purity. Timothy is to think about the relationships in the church like family. Older men regard them as fathers, older women, mothers, younger men, brothers, younger women, sisters. Throughout the New Testament, we are called brethren. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. God is our Father. In in many respects, Jesus Christ is our older brother. And we, adopted into the family, are now brothers and sisters of one another. And I know that some of us didn't come from the best families. But I think still we know that the word family is meant to communicate acceptance and love and care. It goes beyond simply being acquaintances or even friends. We're family. There's a responsibility to that. There's a willingness. Even with the old crazy uncle, he's part of the family. This is why a coach, when he's got his kids together or his players together, one of the things he's trying to impress upon them is that, hey, we are family. He wants them to feel a sense of belonging, feel a sense of responsibility for one another. And thus, as the family of God, you and I together as brothers and sisters in the Lord are meant to take a measure of responsibility for one another and to care for one another. When I think about this idea that we, we value the people of God, I at least in my mind, two things come to mind. The idea of cultivating community and then developing disciples. Community, I think, is a, it's a feeling of fellowship and belonging with others that inspires life-giving action toward one another. 
And I sure hope increasingly all of us would, would experience community as a part of Redeemer Community Church, that we would feel a sense of fellowship and belonging with others that would inspire life-giving action toward one another. This is my family. These are my brothers and sisters. I, I'm to love them and care for them and accept them and therefore sacrifice my time and my energy for their good. I said it's more than friendship, but I think friendship is one good way to think about it. I read this week, I thought this was pretty good. This author said, people are looking for more than a friendly church. They're looking for friends. My buddy John Bryson in Memphis, talking about friendship, said that God has rigged our lives in such a way that we can only live at a high level and stay there with a band of good brothers and sisters around us, life is best lived in the company of good friends. Life is best lived in the company of strong community. Where there's a sense of fellowship with one another, a sense of belonging that inspires me to love and good deeds for the good of others. It doesn't take long as we read through our New Testament to see that Paul and Peter and James and the others call us up to live out our Christian life in love towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And this is the kind of stuff I think that brings a smile to our souls when we experience it. I mean, we read the New Testament and it is over and over and over again, and not to put it in a bad light at all, you know, but it's, uh, it's telling us what to do. It's telling us to love others and it's telling us to forgive others and be patient with others and compassionate towards others. And that's all in there and maybe I'll emphasize it in a minute, but I just want us to flip it just for a second and say, isn't that the kind of stuff we love when others treat us that way? To think of Ephesians 4, when others treat us with humility, with gentleness, with patience, aren't you so glad? Or from Colossians 3, when, when brothers and sisters in the Lord, maybe even when we don't deserve it, treat us with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness, aren't you glad? You can't hardly find it anywhere else in the world. Or in Philippians 2, when when others, maybe when we don't even deserve it, treat us with humility and regard us as more important than themselves and look out for our interest and not only their own. Or Galatians 5, when our brothers and sisters, through love, serve us 
And even maybe when we are caught up in a trespass, they treat us with gentleness as they call us back to obedience. Don't you love that? Or in Romans 12, when our brothers and sisters are devoted to us in love, when they show preference to us, when they show hospitality to us, when we're going through something great and they rejoice with us, or when we're going through something very painful and they weep with us. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, when our brothers and sisters strive to be at peace with us, and when we are faint-hearted, they encourage us, and when we are weak, they help us. When they show patience toward us, we could go on and on and on, right? Peter talks about fervently love one another from the heart. Don't you love it? When a brother or sister in the family of God fervently loves you from the heart. Or Hebrews, when our hands need strengthening, when our knees are feeble, a brother, a sister comes by to help. We love it. We love it. That community that sense of the fellowship and the belonging born of the gospel that leads someone to treat us with such kindness and love and acceptance and care. And obviously it's a reciprocal thing because all of those things that we love, obviously we are meant to show to others as well. Paul in Romans 1 said, I long to see you, Romans, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. As I was looking at that this week, I, I, I get this vision, this image of of this reciprocal thing going in and out in all directions within the body of Christ. Humility and gentleness and patience and compassion and kindness and forbearance and forgiveness and service and showing preference and hospitality and on and on and on and on. May God make that true hear more and more. And if I could encourage you, all of us, to the extent that we might need it, no doubt, I bet there's some in here that feel on the edges of the community here at Redeemer. Some you've been here a long time and you got lots of friends at Redeemer and you, you know others and you are known by them. And so many of these wonderful things that just leap off the pages of Scripture have been your experience. They've certainly been mine for a long time. 
But others of you, you, you may be on the edges of it, and you, and you say, you know, I, yeah, I, I think Redeemer values the people of God, but I don't, I don't feel as connected to it as maybe I would like. I would, I would encourage you, challenge you. As I challenge myself, and we'll hear in a bit, challenge all of us to the extent that, that I need to own that because I haven't reached out to you and, and drawn you into it. I want to own that. But I just want to say this. It can be hard to experience community It can be hard to experience that sense of fellowship and belonging if indeed you're only connecting on the edges. And what I mean by that is maybe you're only connecting on Sunday morning during the worship gathering and that's about it. And maybe you hustle in on Sunday, you've... Maybe, maybe you're a little bit late, you find your seat, you sing the songs, you hear the word, and then we dismiss and you, you, you pretty much scatter on out. That can be hard if that becomes the rhythm of your church family life to feel the connection and the fellowship and the belonging. And so I want to encourage you not only to come on Sunday mornings to the worship gathering. But if you're feeling like you're on those edges, maybe you would come and bring your family as well at 9.15 and come to one of the Sunday school classes. Where it's not as big of a room and there's more give and take and you get get a chance to meet some folks and, and, and get to know them a little bit more. And then I would encourage you to, to get into one of our community groups. And we're, we're going to be launching those again in the fall along with something we're, we're going to call missional communities. But it's in those groups that you go beyond the big room and even the, the Sunday school class into, if you will, a living room or a kitchen around a table talking about life and how's it going and what's the Lord doing in your life. And those kinds of friendships can begin to develop easier in a place like that. I would go beyond that and say, come to some of the events that we do. If you're a lady and you're feeling like I'm on the fringe of that community, I'd love to experience that, but I really don't. Come to the face-to-face event tomorrow night. I'm not saying it's going to change everything for you. But that's another step towards building relationships with the ladies of the church. Men, come to our men's breakfasts. We're going to do top golf here in a few weeks on a Sunday evening. Come to top golf. You say, I stink at golf. It doesn't matter. That's why we're doing top golf. That's why, it, that's why we do top golf. Because you just hit it out there and have fun and people laugh and, man, good hit. And, uh, uh. It's just fun. And we'll have a great meal there, and it's just time to get to know the guys and connect further with the guys. That's what men's breakfast is all. Why do I need to go to men's breakfast? I don't know. It's, no, it's, it's another place to connect with brothers in the Lord, with the hopes that greater friendships can, can come of that, greater connections can come of that.
You get to know people better because of that. And, and then when something happens in their life, maybe you're more connected and you can be a part of encouraging them or helping them or rejoicing with them or weeping with them or the like. All that say we want to do better at creating a community, cultivating community at Redeemer, but I want to encourage you Take a, take a step further than maybe you're taking. And you say, Mitch, I'm taking all those and I'm not connecting with anybody. I want to help with that. I'd, I'd love to meet with you about that. It'd break my heart to hear it, but I want to help. If you say, I, I love Redeemer and I'm trying to connect and I'm going to this and I'm going to that and I just can't, it's just not working. I'm not saying I got any answer, but I would love to know that. So I can pray for that and do anything I can to help with that. So when we say we love the glory of God and the gospel of God and the word of God and the people of God, we want this to be a place where you can experience community. All of that one another type of ministry that the New Testament talks about. Second idea that comes to my mind, though, is not only cultivating community, but also developing discipleship. We want to help you grow spiritually. Because we are more than a social club. I'm not so sure we're supposed to be that at all. But this is a place, hopefully, where you get friends and brothers and sisters to be loved and encouraged and helped, no doubt. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. To press on with Jesus Christ. To grow in your Christian life. Maybe we'll talk more about this next week. But I love this image that we are not meant to be a cruise ship, but rather a battleship. Right? What's a cruise ship? You just show up, kick back, and just wait for everybody to take care of you. All right? That's not what the church is meant to be. The church is a cruise ship where we are all, if you will, soldiers meant to be encouraged and equipped for battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil in the pursuit of holiness and a life lived on mission with Jesus. You remember the Great Commission, right? It is the Great Commission. It is the final words of Christ to the church about what the church is meant to significantly be about. And the verb is make disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded them. And lo, I am with them always, even to the ends of the age. The church is meant to be here to help you and me be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. The New Testament does not smile on spiritual immaturity. It recognizes it. And even for young believers is absolutely fine with it. 
Go ahead and turn back to your left. I think if you're still in 1 Timothy, go to your left to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is going to talk about spiritual immaturity, and so he's going to recognize it. And in some measure, he's going to be okay with it with young believers, but does not much smile upon it when there is immaturity among those where there ought to be maturity. Chapter 3, verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He said, I I had to speak to you as if you were infants in Christ. That's not a negative term. To be an infant in Christ actually is a wonderful thing when you first come to know faith, have faith in Jesus. You're an infant, and that's okay. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. Since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Paul had no problem with the Corinthians being infants in the early days of their conversion to Jesus. His problem is that they, by this time, should have been more mature and still weren't. Even now, you're not yet able for the solid food. Another one of these passages way over to your right is in Hebrews chapter 5. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. But the author of Hebrews, writing to this audience in chapter 5, verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say. Now, in the context, him is Melchizedek from Genesis chapter 14, and it's some interesting things that the author is saying about him. But anyway, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. So again, the New Testament recognizes spiritual immaturity and is quite okay with it among infants in Christ, but certainly does not smile upon it for those who have been in Christ for some time and are still, if you will, infants in Christ. New Testament wants us to grow, grow up into maturity in Jesus, wants us to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. And you know we flesh that out sometimes in these seven characteristics, these seven marks of a disciple that we would love to be true increasingly in all of us, that all of us would be seeking God, spending time with Him, ideally every single day, but at least on a regular rhythm, seeking God in the Word and in prayer. 
Brothers and sisters, if you and I want to grow up in the Lord and become stronger in Him, more mature in Him, then we need to spend time with Him, reading His Word and praying. Let's seek God. Love others. It's the distinguishing mark of the Christian. It's love. We have been so loved by God, even when we did not deserve it. He has forgiven us and made us a part of his family and promised us eternal life, and we are safe and secure in him. We have been loved by God, and the distinguishing mark of a Christian is that, therefore, they love others. They love their spouse. They love their kids. They love their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They love their neighbors. They love their enemies. They love the lost. They love because they have first been loved by God. Are you and I growing in our love for others? Third, pursue holiness. We want to seek God and we want to love others, but we also want to pursue holiness. In the language of the New Testament, to put our sins to death, whether it's pride or it's anger or it's lust or it's envy or whatever it might be, that we not just smile at that and say, you know, well, boys will be boys. You know, we're human. That's just the way it is. But we say, oh, no. That's my sin. That's what separated me from God. That's what Jesus came to die for. That's what he's come to break the power of in my life. That's why he's given me his Holy Spirit. And I want to put my pride to death. I want to put my greed to death. I want to put my anger to death, my bitterness to death. And I want to, by the power of the Spirit, pursue Holiness and goodness and Christ-likeness. Serve the, seek God, love others, pursue holiness, serve the church, steward our resources, share the gospel, multiply disciples. We want to increasingly be growing in these things, not remaining where we were. Like Paul said in, in Colossians chapter 1, writing to the Colossians, he said, We proclaim Christ admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And so here at Redeemer, we want to love God's people. We want you to experience community here. But also, we want to love you, and we want to love each other in such a way that we are growing up in the Lord. To know Him, growing in holiness, growing in ministry, pressing on in the Christian life. So, time to draw it to a close. Aren't you glad that our God is a God who loves people?
Some of you I know in your head of heads, your thought about yourself is, I don't really love people. And for whatever, you think that's cool. It ain't cool. And it ain't like our great God. Our great God loves people. He just loves people. Aren't you glad he loved you? Thank you. He loved you before the foundations of the world. Before you ever loved him. Before you ever loved anybody. In fact, when you were at enmity with him, he loved you. If you are one of his children through faith in Jesus Christ, what that means is before the foundation of the world, he put his love on you. He said, you're mine. Why? Because I love you. But why do you love me? I love you because I love you. Because I've chosen you. The word for that in the Bible is foreknowledge. He has foreknown you. He has put his love upon you long before. And he chose you to be his. And he predestined you to be his child. And he sent Jesus Christ into the world for you and for your salvation. And then his Holy Spirit went to work on your dead heart and he changed you. So that you who maybe before heard the gospel and said, that makes no sense to me or it makes sense, but I don't want it. That's dumb. You can't and heard it again some other time and you went, in fact, that's true I desperately need and want Jesus. And you put your faith in Christ. Because why? Because God had set his love upon you before the foundation of the world. And he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for you, to rise for you. And then his Holy Spirit went to work to give you spiritual life. And you believed and trusted in Christ. And he adopted you into his family, forgave you of all of your sins, promised you eternal life, indwelt you with his spirit, entrusted you with the gospel, called him into the great work that he's about in the world, keeps you in him, and one day he's going to glorify you. Aren't you glad ours is a God of love? Thank you, Ward. So who are we not to love? So, brothers and sisters, I preach to myself, at least on Sunday mornings, let's, was it Emeril, the chef, let's kick it up a notch. Was that Chef Emeril? Come on Sunday mornings. When, we're, when you're coming on Sunday mornings to come to Sunday school class, to come here, come with a mind to minister. You may come with a mind to get the kids to class and run in, sit, sing, listen, go. Come with a mind to minister. 
Come with a mind that says, yes, I'm coming to worship God, and I'm coming to hear from his word, but I'm coming to minister. I'm coming to love the family of God. It may mean getting here a little bit earlier. You can do it. I read a guy this week. I've heard before somebody talk about the two-minute rule. This guy talks about the two-person rule and the two-minute rule. The two-person rule, he says, is before the worship gathering. And he says, strive to meet at least two people before the gathering begins. What if you did that? What if you got here a little bit earlier than you do and you came with a mind to minister? To meet somebody you don't know. Or maybe somebody just to visit with somebody you don't know as well. Or maybe it's to visit with somebody you hadn't talked to in a long time. But you're coming with a mind to love and to help create greater New Testament community at Redeemer Community Church. The two-minute rule is after the gathering. When we dismiss, it's to spend the first two minutes talking with somebody you don't know, a guest, a newcomer, or simply someone you don't know, before you begin talking with your friends. We all get it, right? We come on Sunday morning and can't wait to see our friends. But if we come with a mind to minister, we'll not only look forward to seeing our friends, but we're also looking to help others connect into this fellowship. I've said it a thousand times. It's, it's living there you are rather than here I am. Old timers, and I'm not talking about old people. I'm talking about we Redeemer old timers that have been around for a while. You've been around for a while, you've made your connections, and you're good. You're good. You've been here, you and I, I'm, I'm in this group. We've made our connections. We, we, we got our, and we're good. Let's kick that up a notch. Right? Aren't you glad God didn't say, you know what? I got my people and I'm good. Before he saved you. Aren't you glad he went, Mitch? I'm going to include him too. And I say this to all, but I want to say it especially to men. Men, this is what leaders do. Leaders initiate for the good of others. That's what a leader is. It's someone who initiates for the good of others. What if, what if all the men in this room came every Sunday morning with the attitude, I'm going to initiate for the good of others? 
not here just for me and my family. I'm here for me and my family and everybody else in my church family. And anybody else who walks through those doors that I don't know, I want to meet them. I want to help them get connected at Redeemer. So that's on Sunday morning. Let's all kick it up a notch. And then finally, let's go beyond Sunday morning. If you're not already, and, and as we talked about earlier, get into a group and even onto a team. It will be a leadership fiasco for me. And I don't know how I'll do it, but I would love it if everybody in this room signed up to be in a community group. I don't know how we'll do it because we don't have the leaders. And I'm in charge of it, and it'll, it'll kill me. It'll drive me to the grave. But I'm all right with it. God can help me. I would love it if everybody in our church said yes. This fall, we want to be in a community group. Or we're looking to launch these missional communities, and you can read about them. Redeemercommunity.life. Yes, we want to get into a group. Because, again, just real practically, it goes beyond just this gathering where you're all sitting in rows and you're listening to one guy talk. Where you get around a kitchen table or in a living room. And you hug necks and you shake hands and you hear what's going on in each other's lives and you share burdens and you care for one another and you pray for one another, you love one another. And all of those kinds of things can happen. Will it be perfect? No. Might it go terrible for you? Maybe. And if it does, we'll get you in a different group. That's where the love of God with skin on it can be experienced. Let's pray. But you know what? Before we pray, get into a group, get on a team. We still need your help in kids' ministry. And on a team, It's, it's maybe not as personal, if you will, as being in a, in a good community group can be, but you do get to serve with others, and you get to meet others, and you get to know the kids that you might be teaching and the like. Please, if you can and are willing, we need some folks willing to serve in kids' ministry, in particular in preschool ministry during both the 9.15 Sunday school hour and the 10.30 worship hour. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. We are the beloved of the Father. We are those whom God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We are those who were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, and we were destined for wrath. But God, 
rich in mercy with his great love with which he loved us. I love how Paul says that. The great love of God with which he loved us has caused us to be born again in Jesus Christ. We are so loved, cared for. Make it more and more true of us, Lord. That just as passionate as we might be for your glory and your gospel and your word, we would be for one another. I pray that the love and the fellowship, the belonging, the community, the friendships here at Redeemer would be strong and would be life-giving, gospel-nurturing here. And it would build us up and strengthen us for whatever you might have for us in coming days and weeks and months and years. That through the love of our brothers and sisters, you would take us ever deeper into our life with you. Strengthening us, fortifying us, empowering us, equipping us for what you've called us to. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.